0: Hello and welcome back to Fly in the Wall. I'm Justin.
1: And I'm Anusha.
0: we got some new voices here this week on the pod. We're super excited. Uh, we also have a fantastic episode with Gail Wilson, uh, who was here at Geopolitics this past week for uh, our Women in Color networking event, which was very successful. Um, Gail said she had a great time, so we hope any of you listeners who attended had an equally great time. Uh, before we get into it, as always, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on basically anywhere else you listen to the podcast. If there is a lo- place that you listen to podcasts that we're not on, shoot us an email, we'll try to get on there. Um, and as always, share with your friends as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Fly in the World Pod, all that fun stuff. Um, so like I said, this past Wednesday, G-Politics hosted a networking event for women in color, women of color in politics, excuse me. Um, and I already to give this intro, we got Gail coming. Um, she is the Senior Program Associate at the International Republican Institute, which is a fantastic organization, and she'll tell us a lot about that. Um, And was an attendee of the networking event. Anusha, what do we got up?
1: So, first we're going to start with our segment wheel, which you guys have seen before, um, and let's spin that right now.
0: Let's spin it. All right, what's up first?
1: We have Grinds Our Gears. We're going to be talking about filibusters, um, which we've definitely seen a lot of recently.
0: (laughs) Very recently. Yeah. All right, Anisha, what grinds are your gears about filibusters?
1: So I'm definitely one of those people that will like watch part of the filibuster live. Um, (laughs) And you're not going to lie here. But I think that sometimes like they just go on so long and like there's so much interesting content in them, but you just, like, you can't physically watch something for 17 hours. Yeah. Um, so you just, like, miss so much of it, but you just, like, want to know everything that's going on, like, you know, healthcare or, like, Nancy Pelosi the other day. Um, it's just, like, it's too long, but I want to know all the information, and it's, like, how do I do that?
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Um, and what grinds my gears about fullbusters is sort of related to that, I think. Um, and it's really, like, when do you decide to filibuster? Because apparently, I mean, obviously there's a filibuster rule in the Senate, which we've seen before, again, very recently. There's also apparently some procedures in the House that you can manipulate to pseudo filibuster, um, as we saw Leader Pelosi do this past week as well. Um, and again, I think there have been some absolutely fantastic filibusters in the past. I agree. And usually I've, I've tuned in. I've, I've watched them on the floor before um, because they're awesome. They're epic. They like, get a lot of news and deservedly so. Because they're trying to bring a point to something that, like, evidently doesn't have enough, I guess, topic or talk about or whatever. Um, But, like, then people start doing filibusters for everything. Yeah. And that's where it starts to get old. Like, I enjoy a good filibuster when, again, I guess this is entirely subjective. But when, like, it's a great cause. It's, like, you know, more or less life or death of the country. And it's, like, a really patriotic thing. Not someone who's just, like, trying to pull a political game, I guess
1: yeah we gotta go for quality over quantity i think
0: exactly all right let's spin the wheel once again all right fantastic what do we got up next
1: so now we have who said that with the quote and we're going to guess who said this quote
0: interesting all right let's hear it
1: okay I think this is the most extraordinary collection of talent, of human knowledge, that has ever been gathered together at the White House, with the possible exception of when Thomas Jefferson dined alone.
0: Okay, so full disclosure, we did get a bit of a hint from Abby, um, one of our comms directors, uh, who said that this person isn't alive. Correct. Correct. Awesome. Mm. I'm going to go with Winston Churchill. I don't know why it's a gut feeling. I feel like that's the way he speaks.
1: So I am really not sure for this quote. Um and thinking of you know, political people that you know possibly recently, I'm gonna go with Mayor Ed Lee of San Francisco. Um I'm from the Bay Area, so a little personal connection there.
0: <laughs> that's a really great well, guess I'm actually. Sure. I'm not sure. I went I went super mainstream, you went super non-mainstream, that's awesome. Um mm, neither of us were right. It's John Kennedy. It is, it is. it's it's JFK. I I'm, I'm upset with myself for not thinking of oh, that. Oh, I should have I'm really yeah. upset with myself for that. not thinking of that. Anyway, we're going to get into the interview with Gail. Um, Like we said before, she's a Senior Program Associate at the International Republican Institute, uh, which is a really cool organization that works to build democratic capacity um, for women candidates all across the world. So she'll tell us stories about being in a bunch of different really, really cool countries. Um, She had some staffing experience before, uh, especially working out in the field, uh, which is a perspective we really haven't had on the pod before. And she gives some great stories uh, from that as well. So... Without further ado, we'll bring in Gail. Gail Wilson, we are so excited to have you here at Fly on the Wall, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And
2: thank you so much for having me here.
0: Um, So just for the context for our listeners, Gail just came from a networking event for women in color here on campus, um, organizing the Institute of Politics um, so we're really excited to get into that her experience um, out in the field and also at the International Republican Institute working in these types of issues. Um, so to jump right into it, um, could you describe a bit of your experience being a woman of color in politics, what that's like, um, obstacles, benefits that you face there?
2: Right. So I think being a woman in politics, um, we offer a different voice. Um, I think in the I think as as years have gone by, uh, there's been an increase of women, but it's a lot more. I just came from an event where I counted the room, there's only 10 women there. And we had Alisa Fonic there. And it was just like, what? Have we had and we publicized this on Facebook, Twitter, like come to this event. And yet just getting women at the table, getting women to add events. Um, but I always thought it was a benefit actually, just because that I do offer a different voice. And I started being in politics getting involved in college. So before I got involved as a biology major, um, then I made that switch. It's a career change. Very very <laughs> quick because I had um, my parents are from Liberia, and so um, especially with migrant um, parents, you have different, you have set choices in life <laughs> and set goals. So yes. um, when I got involved, I quickly, uh, I just googled like local parties, who's a contacts and I got involved with the Young Republicans, and from there they were just like being a black woman, right? They just want you to plug, like getting plugged in. But what I've seen with other black Republicans too, um, you don't want to be a list of puppet. like make sure you have a voice and I speak up when something's wrong or just um, making sure that what we're saying, actually is people are understanding what we're trying to say and be more compassionate empathetic as well. And so um, from then, I got involved with uh, Greg Abbott's campaign. I was still in college, so I had a full-time job on the campaign. And um, so I made sure all my classes were online, for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, being a field rep on a campaign, it's aggressive. Um, and in 2014, we ran that campaign like a presidential. We had over 100 staff um, on the campaign. It's the most staff in any gubernatorial Um, campaign as well. And one, Texas is extremely huge. Um, But I believed in Greg Abbott's because of his policies and growing up in Texas, um, I had the best childhood. I went to private school, but just like the society as well. And I hear my parents talking about the taxes. Um, I see that if people, other states can model after Texas, and mind you, we do have resources that other states don't. um, I just like, this is the best date ever, so I want to make sure we continue Rick Perry's legacies as well, and um, Greg Abbott, his story, um, being disabled, and, you know, studying for the LSAT, and then a tree hit, shooting you paralyzed, but then that didn't stop him. Um, so I really believed in him, I got involved, and then um, I was a delegate to the Texas State Convention. So I was like super into it, like I was just all the way in, and I think some of the challenges is always trying to prove myself why I'm Republican. Especially um, when you go to events and you don't traditionally see minorities or women's, like all boys club, and I think it's just politics in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over time, just kind of got annoyed, and it's almost insulting when you ask someone why are you Republican? You know, especially with, I'm a different color. You wouldn't ask that if I was white. You wouldn't, you know. And mind you, the party was founded on principles of freedom and liberty and, um, and stuff like that. So it was just being always trying to be proof, like prove myself all the time, like explain myself over and over again, it's like a litmus test. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was applying to be a delegate, and that was the first question, I told him that's actually insulting. If you really want to increase engagement, don't ask these people that question. They're here for a reason. Everybody's in the room because we believe in the values and the morals. Don't ask why, like, what is the point? What are you trying to get at? You know what I mean? And I, some people don't take offense to it, I do. Um, and so like, that's how I got involved quickly. And so, like, if you want to get involved in politics, definitely like um, join the Young Republicans, the Young Democrats, because they will get you plugged in on grassroots campaigns, um, etc. So, awesome.
1: Yeah. So, i um, kind of going off of like a lot of what you said. Statistically speaking, um, a lot more women of color tend to be Democrats versus being Republicans. Um, so, how would you say that being a conservative woman of color has impacted your career?
2: Um, I think it actually helped me. Uh, Tremendously, just because that I do have a different voice that is not traditionally seen. Um, My parents always taught me to be a free thinker, so I really took when I turned eighteen, like voting, very seriously. I didn't vote oh on a party like party platform. No, it's by case by case basis, and when I looked at the party platforms and what I aligned most with, and. One, I'm very religious in that aspect as well. And I think I just fall in line with the Republican Party. And so even on that, um, you really don't see that because I think it's uh, especially with the upbringing. And I think with parents really need to tell their children, like, be a free thinker. Um, Don't be Republican. Don't be a Democrat because I am. And I, but you do grow up, like, around these societies because you're usually following your parents' footsteps. But my parents didn't push that on me because I'm the youngest out of seven. And so, like, my my siblings, some of us are Republicans, some of us are Democrats. My parents, um, depending on this, uh, the issue and depending on, like, presidential or state level, they vote either way. But they still donate to the DNC, but <laughs> they still um, get involved. So be, being a black conservative... Um, it, honestly, it opened it opened a lot of doors. It really did because when you take the courage to talk about what you truly believe in, oh, when I started telling people like what I actually truly believe, because kind of keep it quiet, people stopped being my friends. Um, they would just say the nastiest things, and I didn't understand because one, we live in society; you can think how you however you want to. At, um, at the end of the day. But you realize that a society, especially in the black community, if you don't follow what the norm is doing, it's tough. You get a lot of backlash from the community, and it's hurtful as well. So
0: you mentioned this just a bit earlier, but um, you did eventually get your start in politics, uh, working as a field rep for the Greg Abbott campaign. Um, So could you talk a little bit about what drew you to field organizing What was that job like Um, what you enjoyed most about that
2: oh yeah so um it was like my first time doing something that mattered too so I had Mm -hmm. a whole region so I covered um so the DFW area so I had Cedar Hill Duncanville Arlington so the um this is where areas that Greg actually grew up in um and oh my gosh so first day they flew us out there um, in Austin. They t- like give us tips and tricks, like how to organize, how to get people volunteered Because on that campaign, you had to get two hundred fifty new supporters every week. Wow! So th- that's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. People don't answer doors. <laughs> no, no, no. And and just like really give and I talked to other field reps who've done this before in other campaigns. Um, but it was just like, how can I make sure I get two hundred fifty new supporters? Right, especially in Texas, where it's traditionally red, and most of them are already Republicans. They're not going to vote, but just identifying those new um, supporters. So I first went to like women's groups. So that's in the in my district that I covered. Um, looked at the schools in my district. So government students like talk to professors um, that. If you want these students to get involved or just learn about it, like, offer them extra credit to volunteer, like, five hours or something like that. So I had a team. So, like, I had, like, one woman here, um, some students here, and they report back to me kind of managing everything. But just it, you, the moment you wake up is, like, you're calling folks. Um, the moment you go to bed is nonstop every single day, even on a Sunday, taking a break. No, it was... Aggressive. I was in Jamaica, and I was still like making phone calls, <laughs> making sure people are like um, organizing phone banking opportunities. So uh, I worked with like the local um, local party there. Hey, can you organize like a phone banking? We go order pizza. And one thing about campaigns or any party, a lot of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you eat um, a lot. But being a field rep, you learn management skills. You have to become a people person. If you're not a people person, you will not survive. Because you had to talk to everybody, like, go to all these meetings, going across town. So even if you drive a beat-up car, you go from, like, one meeting to another meeting to speak. Um, get those people involved, like, and it's all grassroots campaign. But the more doors you knock, the more people, like, see your face, the more likely they will vote for your candidate, um, etc. But getting out there, it was, like, it was intense, but you get to meet everybody in your community, and like church members or just the Rotary Club and you get to increase your presence as an individual like your name and that's important too so even if you after the campaign you go move on to other things um people will know you and it's a great way to not only like learn about like state issues but like to know who your community like members are and that was a cool thing too because I grew up in Irving I knew my general small area but now I know people from across like the Metroplex um, who are still good friends today.
1: Yeah, so you talked um, a lot about, you know, the people that you got to meet on the campaign. And I'm just wondering, do you have any like really inspiring moments you had talking to voters or really cool stories about that, that you'd be able to share?
2: Yeah, so i um, door knocking and um, I knocked on this lady's door and I don't know who these people are. I'm just like knocking away like, can you sign up like, to make sure you're going to vote for Abbott down on the election day? And this woman, she, it was me and some other university students, and she, her eyes just, like lit up. She was just so shocked to see young people involved in general. Because most volunteering, like especially like on local level, is a lot of older folks who have the time to do this, who are retired. And she was like, you know, this country is going the right direction. And she didn't vote. I know she didn't vote for Abbott. But um, she was like, we need young people um, to get involved to have a voice because policies will change um, once they speak up. And for me, I'm just like, this is just a job. Like, are you going to vote for this guy or not? But she made a point. Like, she really did. And I think over time... What I've seen, a lot more young people getting involved, and um, I never really, nobody ever said that to me, like, why you should get involved in general. Like, people say vote, right? But it's not just voting. It's going to your city council, like, really knowing what the issues are, like, if you have a problem, knowing who to talk to, right? If you're mad that there's a red light on this one street, like, what's the first step? And if you don't know, like, that's a problem. Um, and I think that's a, a problem that people know, don't know how to speak up or where to go. If I really call, if I call my representative, something's going to change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got me thinking like, okay, not just campaigning, but really getting involved in a way that issues they actually care about in general. So, yeah, that's how um, I, I think it was the most inspiring because it makes you look outside of the campaign. And because you in different communities and you you start to learn like what's really going on like in that one district you're covering and you become so close with the people. And it's like, you know, my, I have a sister who lives in this county or a cousin or our nieces and nephews. Um, and so that like, I was truly just like, okay, out of this campaign, I'm just going to be like heck, like all in.
1: You're listening to Fly on the Wall. We'll be right back. Okay, so our Tweet of the Week this week um, comes from Katie Simpson, who's a reporter from the Canadian Broadcast Corporation. She says, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will meet with the CEO of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, today. No media allowed at this bilateral meeting, we are told at the request of Amazon. Hashtag HW. And Luke Savage, also a reporter at the Canadian Broadcast Corporation, quote tweets this and says, So I guess Amazon is a country now.
0: That's like really fascinating. The fact that a, multi, a a country can like have a bilateral meeting with a country.
1: Yeah, I've definitely never seen that before.
0: I haven't either. So it was actually interesting. I I pulled this tweet up and was going through a um, bit of the thread that Luke had on here, um, and he said people have noted Amazon has a bigger GDP than many countries. Um, they're enjoying more or less the same status here as a nation state. Yeah, I think it's a really fantastic point um, because it really is working, not only the local side of campaigns, but really um, the door-to-door, getting able to like shake those people's hands, talk about what the issues they care about, that you really start to understand, um, I think, the difference, and really break through the noise that you hear a lot at the national level between the big policies that are maybe being debated in the Senate or talked about in the Oval Office and what people in, yeah, Dallas really care about.
2: um. Exactly. And And, I mean, to this day... Um, people voting in the local elections is extremely low. Mm-hmm. You have the same uh, councilman or councilwoman for like 20 years or whatever, six years. Um, and that's a problem too. I, I just went to another event where they're trying, trying to get more like young conservatives um, to run for office. And another point, getting more women in general to run at, at a different event. And it's the question is, why are you? Why can't you run, like Elisa Fon, the, the the youngest member, you know, in Congress? But I mean, you see across America, you have younger people who are councilmen, you know, or councilwomen, running for their state assembly. Um, and so, I, I think just getting involved and kind of showing yourself you can be a leader. You don't have to wait till you're sixty mm-hmm. to run. No, like you have a voice and people will get behind you because they believe in you.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point. Um, so after doing all that work, talking to all those voters, take us inside the room on election night. What was the atmosphere like? How did it really feel for you seeing all that organizing work pay off, knowing that every door you knocked you know, made a difference in that election?
2: Right. So I wasn't there on election night, so I'm going to talk about um, when we won the primary. Okay. So we were in San Antonio, and we... Me and my Dallas crew, we drove down, <laughs> and when you're on a campaign, you should always think positive, like, we have this, we got this in the door, right. all those doors we knocked, all those people we talked to, like, we better see that, hey, that your candidate gets to the primary. Literally in that room, we're in San Antonio, and everybody from across the state, from, like, East Texas, West Texas, um, their loved ones were there. And when they finally announced that he got through the primaries, like people just cry. We're like, yes, finally. Like, now it's like overdrive because now we can get through like to November. And literally, all that hard work, like, it was worth it. So, everything from like the pizza to like the days you just want to quit because it's hard. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, you don't see your friends a lot, you become friends with people on the campaigns, that's your family <laughs> all day, every day. And um, like just people and just like the atmosphere, like oh my, like it's like if you have a chance to be there in the room with the candidate there, I'm telling you, like everybody's your best friend. Like everyone, like will give you a hug. Like great job, because everybody play a part, Mm -hmm. regardless if you're a paid staffer or you volunteered, like. Every, everyone is an intricate part of that campaign everybody down to the voter um, as well um but it's just like you know what guys it's like a pre- this is like the pep rally and so now we're like we're in the second half and it's like overdrive so we gotta make sure we act- like, make sure we win because especially in um, presidential or even like um, state level elections it's the primaries getting through because you have so many candidates uh, especially this extremely close. Um, but this is a, it was an exciting moment, and we were just like, okay, so after that hour, after that, it's like, open, like game time. So you get to celebrate, have friends, but then li- literally the next day, yeah, celebration is over. Now we have to like get the run- ground running.
1: So now we're going to transition a little bit to um, your current role at the International Republican Institute. So can you talk a little bit more about what your role is at IRI and how this is different from your experience, you know, working on the Abbott campaigns, very, very different, I imagine.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, so IRI, the International Republican Institute, is a nonprofit organization where we advance democracy worldwide. Um, so this is so managing campaign like managing like volunteers is one thing but like managing programs and understanding the dynamics in a country where the country's going um, it, it was is extremely um, different um, but within IRI I work in the women's democracy network where it's a global initiative aimed to empower women across the world get them involved in politics so that helped play the part because I worked on a campaign and I went to Albania uh, for their election. We're training candidates there, and I was giving like tips and tricks as well. we had a trainer that flew out with us. But um, like it's the same thing, no matter for the United States or another country. Like a campaign is a campaign, but with IRI, you get a global experience. And the world is so complex. Every country is is different in a way that. Our programming, like, in Mexico will look one way, in Ecuador it will look another way based on citizen needs. So in Texas, where you have to, like, be up to date with issues of what's going on in the state house, etc. cetera, um, working a global initiative, I need to know what's going on around the world all the time. Right now something's happening in Indonesia. I'll, wait, I'll find out when I wake up, um, but just because... What people don't realize, what people don't realize, is that we're government funded, so we get funding from State Department, USAID, and um, so if the government kicks kicks us out, we're done, you know. Um, but we still work with activists and stuff in other countries, um, and, and, and so with in that capacity, you get to travel around the world. So going to Kenya. We did a leadership training uh, with women from Cameroon, Uganda, Tunisia, Zimbabwe, then going down to Peru, working with the Women's Caucus there, and then going down to Colombia where I run our Latin America initiative. So it's called Women's Democracy Network, Latin America and Caribbean. And these are women leaders from Central and South America to address democratic challenges across the region, so on a global platform, I mean, on a regional platform. And so like... Honestly, like, meeting with these women, these are dynamic women. These are, (laughs) like, parliamentarians, like, activists, the young, um, the older women. And they all are very passionate. And it's not easy working with women sometimes. Um, But it's very humbling because people put their lives on the line. You meet activists where they speak out against the government, they will go to jail or they will get persecuted in some um, capacity. And I met this one woman at a training, and um, she was from the Muslim region, um, the northern region of Kenya. She went to the training, and we did this like um, skills building training where it's like a, like a test, like a personality t- test, to see where you fit in the political process. Because mm-hmm. being involved in politics doesn't mean to run for office. It can be behind the scenes, it can be an activist, it can be like a surrogate or what have you and she said i never thought that i'll ever run for office because all her test results was like you should be a candidate she's like i always thought to be behind the scenes and like help other people but now i want to go back and um the next election because it was coming up so in the upcoming year she'll run again she's like i'm gonna run for office i'm gonna have a campaign a good grassroots campaign i'm gonna get people involved i'm like you are a rock star, like hands <laughs> down, because it honestly—you have to ask a woman to run, and recruiting women is hard, etc. Because one, especially around the world, some women die, as you saw last year um, in Europe. The woman died at a rally. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's really sad that people just don't want to see women in, in a leadership role. Not just in the government, but in business um, as well, and so you hear remarkable stories like all the time. Women traveling for hours just to go to a training to get um some skills building to do coalition building um etc. Legislative skills because especially in certain um parliaments where women um if they speak out against their party or not um the majority they probably won't be in office again. Mm-hmm. And so, how so we're finding ways to like increase their voice and make sure they can be able to run again. They won't be threatened to like be off the party list, um etc. So you hear remarkably remarkable stories and you become so humble. And this world like needs so much help. And people are fighting every day just to have one voice, you know, um but when as a collective uh, when a group of people come together, the government will listen. They will. Every single march is won't take. Um, every single march you see, oh, just a march. It's no big deal. No, it's not. It's a huge deal because the government will have to listen and be responsive. And we're teaching people um, the how to increase their engagement with their like local counselor, working with like on the government side, how to be more responsive to the to the citizens. What can you do? Um, to create policies where um you create uh a more sustainable environment, increase the economy, um, increase the quality of educa- quality of education. Um, so like we our programming looks so diverse, and uh, you get to see this world and what people are doing to create a, a better society for themselves.
0: So first of all, that's fantastic stuff. Um, sounds like such exciting and really meaningful and impactful work. Um, you talked a lot about some of the unique challenges that um, those candidates or elected officials may face um, working with you all in the diverse different countries that you guys um, do business. Um, but have you, have you noticed any challenges that sort of overlap between women candidates running um, in any of those countries and here in the US as well?
2: Right, so um, in Kenya, um a good example, we'll all go around the room. So these are women from like different countries in Africa. And you, you look, you see, they're telling, they're telling you about their stories. And you realize women face the same challenges. No matter if you're in Uganda and Br- Brazil, it's the same thing. And it, it, it's trending across borders. And so we're still getting to a point where they're not looking at us as leaders. I mean, slowly they are, and we have male champions uh, around the world, but it's still a challenge. And as a collective, like, we need to do something to change that. It's changing the mindset because you still have traditional communities um, around the world. And so with Women's Democracy Network, we're giving um, that support network because the best mentor is each other. Um, so we have women like how can we connect women from, let's say, Cameroon um, to Albania, and so because we're a member-driven network, so we have we're operating over eighty-six countries, um, etc. Et and so, like one day, one of our members saw that. Um, our member Blurda from Albania was doing cool work um, with the legislators. So we working with um, MPs, the members of parliament to address domestic violence. And she was just this woman called me she was like, how does that work? Can you please connect me with her because to change best practices and that's what it is because women do face the same challenges. we need to connect with one another, learn from one another, um, and share our successes, strategies. Um, in ways to navigate um, through their own governments, their own societies, um, and see how we can just come together and support one another.
0: You're listening to Fly in the Wall. We'll be right back. Our politicos as well people this week is one that is near and dear to my heart. Um, So if you didn't see this, Representative Michael Capuano, who represents Boston and Cambridge, in the house, wore a Philadelphia Eagles helmet to a meeting of the House Committee on Financial Services after losing a bet to his counterpart, um, Rep. Bob Brady, who represents parts of Philadelphia. Um, as I'm sure you know, Philly beat uh, the Patriots, who are up from Boston, in the Super Bowl this past week. Um, I am from the Philadelphia area, so I was very excited, one, for them to win, and two, to see uh, this bet play out the way that it did.
1: So um, next we're going to have a segment where we have a student giving a hot take on a certain topic. So our question for you is, what is one systemic change that needs to be made in order to improve the representation of women of color in politics?
0: So we have um, our student response from Jess Andino, who is a senior here. Alec is going to play her response and you can respond to her and also the question.
1: I think that to increase the women. Um, and just people of color in general in, on Capitol Hill is to purposely hire um, top staffers who, who are people of color and get them in those positions because when you're um, in those decision-making uh, positions, uh, you can um, uh, enact change um, top-down.
0: Okay, so your response to that, and what's one systemic change that needs to be made in order to improve the representation of women of of color in politics?
2: Um, So, the first question is um, the recruitment. Like, I talk to women all the time who actively recruit women to run for office. It is hard, because you've given up a lot, right? Um, Your families, high-paying job, um, etc. So, I think what needs to truly happen is to create a pipeline where a woman uh, who does want to run, because sometimes, like especially with groups who are actively looking for women, these are women who are well accomplished. But what about those who, just a, a random person in the city, I want to run for a city council, what can I do? But I think there should be, like, some, like, a, a website, et cetera, where people can anonymously go and find um, resources on both sides, both the Democrats, Republicans. Like, here are the groups who will help you fundraise. Here are the groups who are good on issue advocacy, um, et cetera. But going into, like, HBCU schools, going to like, just, like, not just women of color, women in general, um, going to, like, I think start with the university. And so one quick example, um, I'm working with, uh, with Girls to Lead Africa and um, what they do is increase women, or high school girls, to run for the student government. And I think that's a place to start getting involved. Um, but I think, like, find creative ways to find these women of, um, find women, find women of color. So going down to different communities, way, uh, traditional communities, but also um, com- communities where you don't think to find women who, who run for office. So going down to, um, I'll just say in a, this example, like D.C., right? These, D.C. is a place where you have a lot of like interesting, dynamic people. So just like an, um, a, the American Heart Association, right? Finding women who talks about politics all the time, but because it takes a woman to run. And statistics show when you ask a woman to run several times, it gets her in her head, and eventually starts thinking, uh, thinking about running for office.
0: So again, that was Gail Wilson um, of the International Republican Institute. I thought personally fantastic not only interview but career story, um, the way she got into politics. Um, some of the work that she's done out in the field, um, on Governor Abbott's campaign and also at the IRI.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was such a great, um, personal listen to, you know, not only about being a woman of color in politics, but also learning all about the International Republican Institute. Um, I personally didn't really know anything about it. Um, we haven't really talked to many people in that area before, so that was very interesting to hear.
0: Yeah, I agree. And as someone who's done field on a statewide campaign before, could relate to a lot of, um, the stories that she was saying, but really just having to One, pour your whole heart into it, but also um, the sorts of people you meet, the way you get invested in a campaign. I thought she told that part very well as well. Yeah, I agree. We are wrapping up here. As always, we're going to do a little social plug. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, Let's see, subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and anywhere else you listen to podcasts at Fly on the Wall Pod. Other than that, have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday. No, wait. Are we announcing our special pod this week? This is this is alive on the fence call. We're going to be doing a special series. This is me just announcing this because I feel like it. Um, <laughs> on political power couples, um, the first of which will be recorded this week, um, Valentine's Day week, of course, with Patrick and Jen O'Malley-Dillon, both of whom are very close to geopolitics politics and very awesome people with very cool stories that we could not be more excited to tell. We're going to try and get a series of these out, for a little mini-series. Um, stay tuned to our social channels for more information on that. See you next week.
1: So, the Winter Olympics recently started, and there's been a lot of really interesting uh, incidents that have happened. Um, one of them, as you guys may have seen, was the Canadian and the Russian teams got into a big fight apparently, but they won't say what the fight was, and the Canadian team apologized. So. It like a physical fight? I'm not sure if it was physical or not, but it was just like funny that the Canadians apologized, because that's like their that's stereotype, Canadian, right? That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: I just, like, want to picture Justin Trudeau and Vladimir Putin going at it. I
1: know. That'd be great. Right? Yeah.
0: Also, I saw this on Twitter. I, like, assume it's real, because it's Twitter. But there were actual impersonators of Trump and Kim Jong-un there, too?
1: Yeah, I definitely saw that, too.
0: Okay, because I saw the pictures, and I'm like, they look pretty realistic.
1: They looked like Trump and Kim Jong-un. The
0: fact that you're one that dedicated to, like, do that, but then I, like, also to actually be that close of a lookalike and to try it, like, yeah. good for them. Although they did get thrown out. And I'm sure you spent a lot of money to get over to South Korea, so.
1: Yeah, well, they
2: made their statement. They got fame, I yeah, guess. If that's <laughs> what you call a statement.